friends, let us now listen to Brother Mel Caparos, pastor of Living Word Christian Churches of Cebu International. study and now we're beginning a new book we're actually going into the study of Esther but we're not going to dive immediately into the book what I would like to be able to do is give you the big picture give you a survey of what to expect in the book so that we don't get lost in the details of the narrative So can we just rise from our seats at this time and let's come before the Lord in a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and bless you for this morning. We just had a wonderful time of worshiping and praising you. What a delight to be in your house and to experience your manifest presence. And today you were here in a very special way. And Lord, once again, we submit ourselves to you as we begin a new series, the book of Esther. We pray that you will accompany us all throughout this series. And Lord, as we begin today with an introduction, we pray, Father, that you will give us understanding and clarity. May we also be able to remember all the important and pertinent details of this book so that we don't get lost in our study of the narrative. We pray, O God, that there will be wonderful and powerful lessons to learn, things, Lord, that would inspire us, things, Lord, that would cause us to trust you and believe in you, that you are at work in our lives. Our Father, we give you thanks and praise for whatever is going to be achieved. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's be seated in the presence of the Lord. I just want to show of hands, how many of you believe that God is at work in your life? Could you raise your hands? Amen. Praise God. And I do not want to disappoint you because that is exactly what the book of Esther is all about. It is all about God's divine appointments. I recall um, a few years ago, we tried to invite Pastor Edmond Chan to join us uh, to do a conference. But our thinking was, let's give it a shot because he actually handles conferences every two weeks. All over the world, he handles two conferences I'm sorry he handles conferences every two weeks that's about 24 conferences in a year and this is not just in Singapore this is all over the globe all over the world and so we were thinking how in the world can we possibly invite this man to do a uh, seminar or a conference for us that would concentrate on disciple making. But here is where you see the providence of God. And in a very short while, I will define to you what providence is. But again, in the providence of God, 
you and I know that Dr. Anthony Ang served as the dean of our International Bible Institute. What is quite interesting is that when Dr. Ang was teaching in Singapore Bible College as one of the theo theology professors, it so happened that Edmund Chan and his wife were actually his students. And so when Dr. Anthony Ang attended one of the conferences, one of the IDMC conferences in Singapore, he tried uh, to set himself up so that he could meet up with Pastor Edmond Chan. And thankfully, he was able to get an appointment. And so immediately, he brought forth his agenda and he said, could we invite you to come to Cebu? And of course, Pastor Edmond Chan realized that he had so much on his plate and he said, I'll try to look into it. And thankfully, uh, because of that appointment with Dr. Ang, he made a decision that he would come over to Cebu. So I was actually interested why he agreed to come when in fact he was very busy. Again, uh, uh, in two weeks' time, a conference every two weeks' time. And so this is what he said. I've learned in life to give honor to whom honor is due. Dr. Anthony Ang was my college professor. And because of that, I owe him a debt of love. And for that reason, I am here in Cebu because I would like to pay that debt of love. And then as we continued on in our conversation, he made it clear to me that his coming here was a matter of divine appointment. And of course, you know the story. He invited me to become one of his mentors, to which, of course, I readily agreed. And he said that this is all about divine appointment. Now, for that, I am really thankful to the Lord. I'm now 57 years old, but you know, my hunger and thirst to learn more about my God and about the scriptures is still unabated. I still continue to hunger and thirst to know more. And I believe that in the twilight years, of my life, I really need somebody to come alongside me to somehow mentor me and guide me. Now you might say, but you're already a senior pastor and churches have been planted all over the Philippines and in different parts of the world. Why would you still need a mentor? I would like to be able to say to you that no matter our age, no matter our status, no matter our state in life, we still need somebody who will disciple us. Somebody who is an older soul. And by that, I mean somebody who, is probably, who has probably gone ahead of you in this journey of life and knows so much more because of experience and because of learning. And when we attach ourselves to such people, Definitely, there will be spiritual growth. And I would like to think and believe 
that because I have been mentored for the past couple of years, not only by Pastor Edmond Chan, but even by Dr. Tim Carnes, I would like to believe that I have grown in my spiritual life as well as in my ministry. And I think more than anything else, at this particular juncture in Christendom, I think we all need to be discipled, including senior pastors. Just recently, I don't know if I mentioned to you last weekend, I may have mentioned it. Uh, my son attended uh, the Shepherds Conference. And Dr. John MacArthur shared about the fact that many of his pastor friends have fallen by the wayside. In fact, one of the speakers in the previous conference actually fell into adultery. A few months back, there was this mega church pastor who committed suicide. But even before that, there was another mega church pastor who also committed suicide. You're probably asking, why is this happening? Why is this happening even among pastors who happen to handle mega churches? It is because we still all need to be discipled. And although this is not the main subject matter this morning, I would like to be able to present this to you and ask you this question. Do you have a discipler? Do you have somebody who is an older soul to guide, lead, help, and pray for you? Because I would like to be able to say that with the challenges that you and I now face, we really need a disciple or we really need a discipler in our lives and we need to be disciples ourselves. Having said that, we see the power of divine appointment. Life is not about random chances. A lot of us would like to think that when good things happen to us, it is a matter of good fortune. In fact, some people say that because this happened to me, this good thing happened to me, I must be lucky. Some people, on the other hand, when, when misfortune strikes in their lives, they say, I am a victim of bad luck. The truth of the matter is life is not a matter of random chances. Life is not a matter of good luck and bad luck. Life is a matter of appointments with God. Now, I would like to say this to those of you, most especially who have come here for the first time. And even for those of you who have been coming here Sunday after Sunday. It is not an accident that you are here this morning. It is God's divine appointment that you are here seated together with all these believers and listening to me right now. God has appointed this day for you. And perhaps there is a message that God wants to speak to you this very morning. It might not even be the entire sermon, but it might just be one sentence in the sermon. Or it could have been some of the lyrics of the songs that were sang a while ago. Whatever the case might be, you can be sure that God has a divine purpose for you this morning. 
And I'm praying to God that you will not miss the appointment of God. You will not miss the providence of God. Because sadly, the people of Israel, the Jews, during the time of Jesus Christ, missed the day of their visitation. When Jesus Christ was descending from the Mount of Olives, entering into the temple of Jerusalem, entering into the city of Jerusalem, the Lord Jesus Christ made this statement that the people had missed the day of their visitation. And sadly, for some people, in spite of God making arrangements, making divine appointments, we miss out on the purposes of God. And hopefully, that will not be true today for you. And so, as we look into the book of Esther, I don't like us diving into the passages straight away. But rather, I would like to give you the big picture so that in the big picture, we will not miss out on the big picture of the details of the narrative. The central theme of this book, as I mentioned to you, has to do with the providence of God. Now, let me define to you what providence is. Listen up. Providence is God's divine activity that provides protection, provision, and promotion on behalf of His people based on His loving foreknowledge. Now, providence precludes the employment of supernatural and miraculous interventions. In other words, we are not talking about miracles here. We're not talking about supernatural interventions here. We are simply talking about the working of God in our lives. To be specific, the providence of God displays the power of God to control things. Could you say this? God has the power to control things. Say it also to your other neighbor. God has the power to control things. Not only does he control things, he controls circumstances, he controls people so that ultimately everything that happens is according to the script of God. God is the script writer, God is the producer, God is the director, and we just happen to be the actors in this play that God is giving to each and every one of us. And so he is the producer, director, script writer, all rolled into one to paint the story that he wants. And you know what? I would just like to say it's going to be a beautiful story if you and I yield and submit ourselves to the will of God. And that is why this morning I would like to admonish you to be sensitive to the prompting of the Holy Spirit in your heart, to be sensitive to what God is saying, and that you yourself might be able to yield yourselves to the Holy Spirit so that the purposes of God might be accomplished in your life. Let us remind ourselves that our God is a good God and all the purposes of God for us are good. Now, if there are bad things that happen to us, 
One of the reasons might be if it is not a trial on the part of God, one of the reasons is because we have missed out on our divine appointment. Now, the providence of God is clearly seen in the entire book from beginning all the way to the end. And the reason why I would like to delve into this book is that I would like to be our next series to become sort of inspirational to all of us so that we see that God is constantly, continually working behind the scenes. Nothing is an accident. When you meet certain people in your life and you get connected with them, it is not an accident. When you land a particular job and you are taken in to become an employee or as a business partner, know this, it is not an accident. It was by divine appointment. If you got a passing score to a school in an entrance exam and you got enrolled in that school, know this, it is not an accident. It was God's divine appointment for you. And the important thing, as I mentioned to you, is to be sensitive. Lord, what are you trying to do in my life? Why are you connecting me with these people? Why am I employed in this place? Why am I enrolled in this school? I need to find out and determine the purpose of God for all of these things. But the important thing is to understand that God is at work. Even when Joseph, the dreamer, was sold as a slave and entered into Potiphar's house as a slave, God was still at work. And even though he was framed up by the wife of Potiphar and he landed in jail, God was still at work in his life. The providence of God was still at work. And I do not know your personal circumstances right now. Whether they are good or bad circumstances, all I can say to you by way of inspiration is that God is at work in your life. And you should not lose your faith in Him. The Bible says we are not to lean on our own understanding, but to put our whole weight of trust in the Lord. The whole goal of the sermon series is to inspire us to have faith in the God who works behind the scenes. Let me tell you this, brothers and sisters, even during the darkest and the scariest moments of our lives, God is still at work. Amen? God is still at work. Now, in trying to understand the providence of God in the book of Esther, I would like to highlight the salient points of the book. And we will be able to see some practical lessons. Let me just show it on the screen to you right now. So, one of the things that you and I will be discussing this morning is the faithfulness of God. That's one of the amazing things that we find with our Lord. God is faithful in our lives. But notice here in point number two, we see the unfaithfulness of Israel. And some of us obviously can relate to that because at times we tend to be unfaithful to our God. That doesn't stop God, however, 
from being faithful to us. But we need to understand that when we are unfaithful, there is a consequence. And so we will be able to see that in this big picture study that we will have this morning. And then look at verse uh, number, number four, rather. You find the providential faithfulness of God. So sandwiched in between the unfaithfulness of Israel and the consequence of unfaithfulness, we find uh, on top and at the bottom the faithfulness of God and the providential faithfulness of God as well. Point number five, we're going to talk about the rod of discipline that straightens our path. So let's go straight away to the faithfulness of God. And I need to provide to you the settings of this particular story and what had happened previously. If you recall, the Jews, because of their disobedience, because of their idolatry, in spite of the warnings of the prophets of Israel, continued on in their wicked ways. And the result, of course, was that they were exiled in Babylon for 70 long years. So this is actually where we pick up the story. But just to remind you and to provide a scripture verse of what had happened to the nation of Israel, I'd like you to turn your attention to Daniel chapter 9 and verse 2. And it says here in verse 2, In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of the years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, the prophet, for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So once again, because of the unfaithfulness of Israel to the covenant of God, God was forced to exile the people into Babylon as a chastisement for their stubbornness and their unfaithfulness. So that is exactly what happened to them. But at the same time, in God's wrath, he remembered mercy for his people. In spite of the fact that he was chastising his people, God remained faithful to the people of Israel even while they were in exile, even while they were in Babylon. In fact, what had happened was that many of the Jews had actually prospered in Babylon. And even when the Medo-Persian took over from the Babylonian Empire, they were still there because... God had somehow prospered them while they remained in that place of exile. Now, one lesson we derive out of this is that God remains faithful even though we are unfaithful. In wrath, God still remembers mercy. There are two passages of Scripture that I'd like to bring to the fore to you uh, this morning. First of all would be Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 9. And it says, Know therefore that the Lord your God, He is God. The faithful God who keeps His covenant and His loving kindness to a thousand generations with those who love Him and keep His commandments. And here we see that God is so transcendent over and above us in matters of His character. 
If you will notice, brothers and sisters, oftentimes we are unfaithful to God, but God is different from us. It says He is God. He is the faithful God. And we have seen that in our lives. There are times in our lives when you and I have proven to be unfaithful to the Lord. There were moments in our lives wherein you and I backslid. There were moments in our lives when we did not obey God, when we did not follow God, when we did not obey His instructions. And yet, even during those times, those dark seasons in our soul, God remained faithful to us. And you know what that is telling us? The book of Romans says the kindness of God leads us to repentance. Why do you think God remains kind and faithful to us in spite of our unfaithfulness? It is because He wants His expressions of kindness to bring us to repentance. We should never use the faithfulness of God as a license to continue on in sin. A lot of us make that an excuse. We say, well, regardless of what I do, even if I backslide, even if I do bad things, even if I do evil things, God will remain faithful to me. Friends, don't do that. Do not use the faithfulness of God as a license to continue on in your unfaithfulness. Rather, let it produce the opposite. Let it produce repentance in your life. Let it produce a going back to your first love. Let it produce a confession of your own sins. And from that point on, live the life that God wants you to live. Having said that, we cannot stop God from being faithful to us. One other passage of Scripture in 2 Timothy, in the New Testament, chapter 2, verse 13 says this. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. What a God we serve. Amen. What a mighty God we serve. And you think about that, that is actually so convicting. That is something that will cause us to to grieve and mourn over our sins and our backslidings. Because sometimes we, we ask God, Lord, how can you be so kind to me? How can you be so loving when I have failed you many times over? I recall the story of Peter when he gave that superstar answer to the Lord Jesus Christ to the question, who am I? Remember what Peter mentioned or what Peter answered? He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And so his ego was inflated after he gave that, that superstar answer. And the Lord Jesus Christ mentioned the fact that he was going to be crucified, that he was going to be tried, that he was going to be nailed to the cross. And Peter said, I will follow you. And the Lord Jesus Christ said, you will deny me three times. And true enough to the prediction of the Lord Jesus Christ, Peter denied the Lord not once, but twice and thrice. And yet, my dear brothers and sisters, he was the very first one who preached a sermon during Pentecost. Our God 
is a faithful God. Amen. Our God is a faithful God. And I'd like to point out, however, the fact that here we see the contrast. God is faithful, but Israel was unfaithful to the Lord. I mentioned to you the fact that they were in, uh, they were under Babylonian exile. But then there was a changing of guards. The Babylonian Empire did not last long. In fact, after a few decades of being in exile in Babylon, the Medo-Persian Empire came into power and they overtook the Babylonian Empire. So the power at that time in this story that we're going to study is no longer the Babylonian Empire. But rather, the empire in power was the Medo-Persian Empire. And what is so interesting is that under the Medo-Persian Empire, under the leadership of Cyrus, the Jews were allowed to return to Jerusalem. After their 70-year captivity in Babylon, God was saying, it is now time for me to bring you back to the land. I have chastised you. I have punished you. I hope you have learned your lesson. Because you have been serving a king. And you have not been serving me who is supposed to be your king. And so here we find the fulfillment of God's prophecy that Israel would be able to return to the land of promise. Look at Isaiah 44 verse 28 please. It goes, it is I who says of Cyrus, this is God speaking. It is I who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd. And he will perform all my desire. And he declares of Jerusalem, she will be built. And of the temple, your foundation will be laid. Now here's something very interesting, brothers and sisters. Cyrus at that time was not yet in power. In fact, he was probably not yet born. He was actually not yet born at this point in time. And yet, this was prophesied 200 years before it actually happened. Think about this. This was prophesied by the Lord in the book of Isaiah 200 years even before this happened. What does this tell you? It speaks about the providence of God. It speaks about God in control of all things. Our God is on the throne. He is always seated on the throne. And even though when we look at things, they seem to be out of control, we need to remind ourselves our God is seated on the throne. There is nothing that surprises God. There is nothing that shocks God. There is nothing that is difficult with our God. And that's why, again, brothers and sisters, let's have faith and trust in the Lord. Whatever it is that you and I are going through, let us put our faith and trust in the Lord. Now, when Cyrus issued a decree that the Jews could return to their homeland, they should have seen this as God's perfect will for them. It should have been a signal to them 
They should have been reading the book of Isaiah and they should have been saying to themselves, isn't this what Isaiah prophesied 200 years ago? Now it is actually happening. Now it is actually taking place. What a mighty God we serve who prophesied this particular event even before it happened 200 years before. Lord, what a great God you are. The people of Israel, the Jews, should have seen that as a signal that it was now time to return back to the land of Canaan, the land of promise, the land flowing with milk and honey. And yet, sadly, my dear brothers and sisters, the Jews, many of the Jews, majority of the Jews chose to remain on in Babylon and in Persia. They refused to budge. Life had become comfortable for them in Babylon as well as in Persia. And they no longer wanted the discomfort and inconvenience of uprooting themselves once again from Babylon and Persia and returning back to the land of Israel. Sometimes that is our story. God gives us clear signals of what you and I are supposed to do. God gives us clear directions what you and I need to do. But because we are already in our comfort zones, because we feel comfortable, we do not want to be inconvenienced. We do not want to proceed to move towards the will of God. Friends, this is how we miss out on God's appointments. When God has given us a clear signal of what to do and yet we refuse to budge. My dear brothers and sisters, when you and I refuse to budge and continue to be outside the will of God, let me tell you, that's a very dangerous place to be in. Only a remnant of Jews returned under the leadership of Zerubbabel, if I'm not mistaken, only about 50,000 of them returned back to the land of Israel. The theme of unfaithfulness, by the way, is what differentiates Ezra and Nehemiah. Because the book of Ezra and Nehemiah speaks about people returning back to the land of promise. Esther, however, is different. Ezra and Nehemiah deal with the returning remnant of Jewish people from Babylon, whereas the book of Esther is concerned with the majority who remained on in the land of their captivity. You see, these Jews, these Persian Jews, are a type of worldly Christians who prefer to linger on with the pleasures of disobedience and sin. They want to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of being outside the will of God while they were still in Persia. Could it be that this is a reflection of our lives? That you and I find ourselves right outside the will of God. And yet because of the many things that God brings about through circumstances, through people, through events, we realize that God is pulling us towards another direction. 
Could it be, dear brothers and sisters, that as God is pulling us towards a different direction, you and I are not budging. We remain disobedient. We remain stubborn. We remain stiff-necked. I hope that is not the case in our situation. I hope we do not miss out on our divine appointments. Now, as God gives us a second chance to redeem ourselves, we often resist the will of God. We choose comfort and convenience over obedience. And you know what? What John is saying, let us not love this world, brothers and sisters. The key verses would be 1 John chapter 2, 15 to 17. Could you please take a look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17, please? It says, do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, passing away and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. Brothers and sisters, let us not love this world. Let us not love our comforts and our conveniences. Let us not stay in our comfort zones. But let us proceed towards the will of God because the safest place to be in is right at the center of the will of God. Now, as I mentioned to you, I do not know your personal situation right now. But if you are of the firm belief that God is a providential God, everything that has happened to you, most especially in the recent past, really has a purpose. God really has a purpose in mind. And he's trying to accomplish something in your life. What could it possibly be that God is trying to accomplish in your life? What are the lessons that God is teaching you at this moment in your life? Again, life is not a matter of random chances. When we get connected with people, when we get in touch with certain events and certain circumstances, we are not to think, well, it just happened. No, friends, it did not just happen. God was working behind the scenes. God was pulling things together. He was, he was trying to gather these people and events to come together. And again, he is trying to achieve a purpose in that. And what it is, I cannot answer for you. Only you can answer what God is doing in your life. And I'm hoping, once again, that you will not miss out on God's divine appointments. Let me once again reiterate to you, you are not here by accident. God wanted you to sit on the sermon and listen well. And he is teaching you something very powerful about himself. That he is a God of providence. That he is a God working behind the scenes. Be sensitive to what God is saying. Oftentimes, you know, what happens to us is that God is at work. And yet we are so dense 
we are so dull, so dense and so dull, we're not getting it. If God could just scream to, it, to us and say, get this, he would. But I believe that with all the things that he is doing, with all the circumstances that he lines up in our lives, I think we should be getting it. We should be getting exactly what God wants to accomplish in our lives. You know, I hope that when you and I are brought home by the Lord to be with him in heaven, I hope that he will not say to us, you know what, son, you know what, daughter, you missed a lot of opportunities. You missed a lot of the appointments that I was making. You missed what I was trying to do in your life. Did you not know, my son, my daughter, that, was, that I was arranging certain circumstances? Did you think it was merely coincidence? Did you think it was merely an accident? My son, my daughter, it was not an accident. Did you know that I was arranging events to take place? There were certain things that happened and you were scratching your head trying to find out why are these things happening? Good and bad things may happen. But remember Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good to them who love God and to them who are called according to His purpose. You find that thread, that line from the Old Testament all the way to the New Testament. Everything is by arrangement. Even the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ during the rise of the Roman Empire was God's providence. And you might wonder why did the Lord Jesus Christ choose to be born at a time like that? Why did God choose Christianity to be born at a time like that? Well, there are many reasons. But let me provide to you one of the reasons why God allowed that to happen. By that time, when the Roman Empire took over the nation of Israel, they were able to build great and wonderful road networks all over the Middle East. And because of those road networks, the preaching of the gospel was actually expedited and facilitated. That is one major reason. And that's why, again, nothing happens by accident. So even when, when there is a road that is being built where you are staying, that is not by accident. Our choosing this place in Banawa to become our home and our place where we gather and worship together is not an accident. This was by God's divine appointment that you and I put up a building in this location. Why? Because God has a plan for us that we might be able to reach the community that is here in Banawa, that is here in Guadalupe, that is here in Labangon, that is here in the south. God has a purpose. Many of you, in fact, live in these areas. Some of you live in Guadalupe, some of you live in Banawa, some of you live in Labangon, some of you live in the south. Do you think it is an accident that we are here in this particular location? No, friends. God is a purpose. 
my wife, by the way, was, was talking to a sister. It's quite interesting what, what God is doing. Schumart has actually bought a piece of property above us. Now, obviously, when they buy a piece of property, they're going to do something about it. And I'm thinking, Lord, what is your purpose? And I know that God really has something in store for us. Amen. There are no accidents with the Lord. Now, here's the problem. The problem, as I mentioned to you, is when we miss out on those divine appointments. And that is why there is a consequence for unfaithfulness. And this is something that I'd like to highlight as well in the, in the book. Disobedience will always have its consequences. Could you say that to your neighbor? Disobedience will always have its consequences. Could you say it again? For the last time, louder please. It will always have its consequences. It may tarry. It may delay. It may wait for some time. But let me tell you this. It will happen. There will always be consequences when we compromise. What the compromising Israelites did not know was that the trouble was brewing upon them. And no less than their extermination was being planned by Satan. You know, if you will study the book of Esther, it's quite interesting. And I don't have the time to go into the details. But you will find a chiastic structure actually in the book. And sandwiched in between that chiastic structure is the story of Mordecai and Haman. The protagonist as well as the antagonist. And sometimes we don't know... That the reason why God is moving events, circumstances, and people is because He is really after our protection. He is really after fulfilling His covenant faithfulness. But the fact that you and I are unfaithful and disobedient to God causes some complications. God was ready to pour blessing upon the nation of Israel if they would return back to the land of Canaan, to the land of promise. God was going to bless them again. They will be able to rebuild the temple once again. They will be able to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem once again. They will be able to reside once again in a place which they called their homeland. God was ready to pour His blessing upon the nation of Israel. And yet, as I mentioned to you, the problem was they were not moving. They stayed on in the land of exile. And what they did not know was that Satan was planning to destroy them. And hear me out, brothers and sisters. If God has good plans for us, the devil's plans are always to destroy us. John chapter 10 states, Jesus speaking, I have come that I might give you life and to give it abundantly. But the thief, referring to Satan, comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. This is the reason why we cannot afford 
to miss the divine appointments of God. This is the reason why we should not use the providence of God as a license to continue on in our backsliding. There are always consequences. You know, one of the peculiar things that you will find in this book, which I will explain more later on, is the name of God does not actually appear in this book. Try to do it. Try to do an exercise this week. Read the whole book of Esther and tell me if you find the name of God there, you will not find it. Could it be that the reason why the name of God was not present in any of the pages of the book of Esther is the fact that God's name, God didn't want his name to be meshed with the unfaithfulness of his own people. Sometimes God has to distance ourselves. God has to distance himself from us for the simple reason that we are not good testimonies. For the simple reason that we are bringing shame to his name. And because of that, God distances himself in the same way that in this particular book, it seems like God is distancing himself from his people because of their unfaithfulness. The fact that the name of God is not mentioned here is an indirect way of God saying that he had no pleasure in the compromise of the Jews. May I ask you this question? Could there be a compromise in your life in terms of relationships, for example? Could it be that you have a relationship right now with somebody who is not a believer? Somebody who does not share your faith? Could, could it be that you are right now partnering with a business partner and your business partner you know is living a corrupt, unrighteous life. And because he is living a corrupt, unrighteous life, you too enter into a lot of compromises. Could it be that right now God is telling you to do something and for the longest time you have been delaying, you have been saying, Lord, I'm going to do this, but Lord, please wait. I'm not ready, Lord. I'll do it some other time, but not now, Lord. Could it be that we are just like the Jews? Oftentimes we linger on with the pleasures of disobedience, not knowing that we are removed from God's hedge of protection and we become easy prey for Satan's ploys and destructive ways. Let me share to you Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, please. Could you please take a look at Galatians 6, 7 and 8? It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. I mean, the principle is very simple. What Paul uses here is an agricultural illustration. And there are many things that agriculture can teach you. When you sow bad seeds, obviously, you will get a harvest. 
of bad things. And that is why very important in our lives that we sow good things, not bad things. Because if we sow bad things in our lives, we will reap bad things as well. If we sow good things, then we shall reap good things as well. And again, that's a very powerful lesson that we find here. Again, as we go through the narrative of this book, you will see that Satan planned to destroy the entire nation. Not just one person, but the entire nation to be exterminated. Now think about this. Let's move forward and press forward. If the entire nation of Israel would be exterminated, how do you think salvation is going to come to us? Do we not know from scriptures that the Christ, the Savior, the Messiah is going to come from Israel? Do we not know from scriptures that the Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah and from the line of David? Do we not know that it is through Israel that the Messiah would come to us? Listen well. What if Satan succeeded in destroying an entire nation? Friends, you and I would have no salvation. But praise be to God who is faithful, amen, and who did not allow the Jewish nation to be exterminated. Otherwise, the whole plan of salvation would have gone down the drain. But God would not allow that. Amen? For greater is He that is in us than he that is in the world. Amen? So we see here the providential faithfulness of God in spite of the Jews' disobedience to God's perfect will and the impending disaster that was about to befall them. God, in His mercy, laid out a plan of action based on His foreknowledge to protect them from extermination. One of the great attributes of God that I love is the foreknowledge of God, the omniscience of God. God knows everything from beginning to end. He knows exactly what's going to happen in the future. And by the way, that's the reason why in Matthew chapter 6, He tells us not to worry for tomorrow will take care of itself. God knows the future. And God knows how to take care of His people. The most important thing, however, for us to do is to place ourselves in the loving hands of God because in the loving hands of God, you and I are safe. Amen? You and I are safe. Again, as I mentioned to you, what is interesting in the book of Esther is the name of God is not mentioned at all in any of the verses, in any of the scriptures of the book of Esther. That's the reason why Martin Luther was greatly disturbed with the non-appearance of the name of God. You know what? Martin Luther wished the book did not exist. 
he was probably doubting whether it should be part of the canon of Scripture. But of course, it is part of Scripture. Interestingly, however, and this is a little trivia, J. Sidlow Baxter points out the fact that the name of God actually appears secretly hidden in acrostic form four times in the Hebrew text. In chapter 1, verse 20, chapter, chapter 5, verse 4, chap, uh, verse 4, and then verse 13, chapter 7, verse 7. Certain letters in each line, okay, just try to imagine one sentence, second sentence, third sentence, fourth sentence, fifth sentence. In each of the sentences, you will find the starting letter of the name of Yahweh. You will find in one sentence, Y, the next sentence, H, the next sen sentence, W, the next sentence, H. Y-H-W-H, Yahweh. It comes, it is there, but it is in hidden form. And I believe that what the writer was intending to do is to symbolically show God's secret working. Here we see that while God may be seemingly invisible, God's people are never invisible to him. Amen? Could you say to your neighbor, you are not invisible to God. Bisan itum kaayupaka. You are not invisible to God. God still sees you. Alright? Indeed, one cannot escape the fact that the fingerprints of God are all over the place, all over the book. This book probably is the best place to study about the providence of God. The providence of God teaches us about the absolute sovereignty of God in arranging circumstances, people, and events to fulfill His purpose. I thank God for the providence of God. Because if not for the providence of God, probably I would not even be alive. If not for the providence of God, I probably will not be preaching to you right now. If not for the providence of God, I could have married the wrong person. Thank God I married the right person. Hallelujah. Amen. And I say that because my wife has been a tremendous blessing to me and my children and even this church. Thank God I did not miss out on God's divine appointment. Thank God that God is in control. Thank God that He is sovereign. Thank God that my God knows everything from beginning to end. And He is arranging everything for my own good. Hallelujah. Amen. In the providence of God, we may not see any miraculous or supernatural intervention. Maybe no raising of people from the dead. Maybe no lame walking or blind seeing. But the invisible hand of God is still clearly at work. Out of God's divine knowledge arises divine activity. You know, our spiritual blindness will call, cause us to stumble and fall. 
But go, God always picks us up from where we fall in spite of our unfaithfulness. Take a look at Second Chronicles chapter 21, verse 5 all the way to verse 7. It says, Jehoram was 32 years old when he became king. And he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. And he walked in the way of the kings of Israel just as the house of Ahab did. For Ahab's daughter was his wife and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Yet, yet, the Lord was not willing to destroy the house of David because... Of the covenant which he made with David. And since he had promised to give a lamb to him and his sons forever. Praise God for God. Praise God that he is faithful even though we are unfaithful. Amen. Praise God that he does not change his mind when he makes promises. Amen. When he makes promises, you can be sure that God is going to fulfill them. Amen. Our God is not a liar. Amen. Our God never lies. He is a faithful God. He is a covenant-keeping God. But because he is a covenant-keeping God, remember this. The rod of God will straighten us out. Amen. Because that is part of his faithfulness. Amen. If not for the faithfulness of God, where would you and I be at this time? We have a saying in Tagalog, baka pulutin ka sa kangkungan. I don't know the equivalent of that in Cebuano. But friends, if you and I do not follow the will of God, we will be found somewhere else. But thank God, He will straighten our path. And here's what happened. Even with God's protection, Israel knew. They realized in the end that there is greater safety in the will of God. If they remained on in Persia, they knew probably God will no longer give them another chance. So guess what Israel decides at the end of what happens in this book? They decide to return back to the land of Israel. And under the leadership of Ezra in 424 BC, they return back to the land of promise. So you know what? In the end, no matter how stubborn you are, God still wins. Amen. God still wins. So why harden your heart? Why harden yourself from what God is trying to accomplish? You will only go through difficulty. You will only go through much adversity. You will go through a lot of darkness in your life. Why harden your heart? Why be stubborn with what God is trying to accomplish? In the end, He will still win after all. In the end, Israel after all return back to the land of promise. Why did they have to wait until there was a threat to exterminate the entire nation, the entire people of the Jews? Why did they have to wait for that? 
Praise God for the providence of God. But do we really need to test God? Do we really want the spanking of God in our lives? Do we really want the rod of God in our lives? Do we want to experience being punished by the Lord before we actually obey and follow what He wants us to do? I hope not. Because here is, is what God is going to do and we will end with this. Turn your attention to Hebrews chapter 12. Beginning verses 7 to 11. It says, it is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So again, here's a little warning. If some of you are saying, well, I'm not get, getting punished at all. I, there's no chastisement that I'm experiencing in my life. Well, based on this verse of Scripture, could it be you're not really a son? That you happen to be an illegitimate one, as the Bible says. I didn't say that. That's what the Scriptures say. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good, so that we may share His holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. In the end, God wins. In the end, God will bring you to the place where he wants you to be. You will not win against God. When he wants you to accomplish something in your life, when he wants you to become the person that he wants you to be, he will win. He will do exactly what he needs to do to bring you to the proper spot and the proper place where you need to be. So brothers and sisters, don't harden your heart. Don't be stubborn. Do not compromise. Do not be insensitive. Do not be dull. Do not be dense to the dealings of God in your life because He is seated on the throne and He is in perfect control and He can arrange everything. He can arrange circumstances. He can arrange people. He can arrange events. He can even arrange bacteria. Can you imagine that? He can arrange anything and everything, the atoms and the molecules of, of your life. He will bring you to where you need to be in the same way that he finally was able to succeed in bringing the nation back to the land where they belong. Amen? Praise God for the providence of God. So let me just close by saying, the providence of God in our lives is a reminder 
that the God we serve is a covenant-keeping God who keeps His promises and never, never forsakes or abandons His people. Can I say this? If you are a true child of God, even if you are unfaithful, He will not abandon you. He will not desert you. But He will win. He will make you do what He wants you to do. Let God's providence be an inspiration to gratitude and obedience. May we not be like the Jews in exile who lingered outside the will of God and therefore their lives came under threat. There is a dear, stiff price to pay for disobedience. If not for the providence of God, as I mentioned, they would have been exterminated. And guess what? Salvation would not have come to us. But because of the providence of God, guess what has happened? Down the generations, we have Christ and we have salvation and we have redemption. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God for providence. Shall we bow our heads and close our eyes? Our Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask for forgiveness for the many times we have been unfaithful to you, the many backslidings that we have had, the times we have turned our backs on you, the times when we failed to listen to you, your voice was clear and loud, and yet we refused to listen and obey. Forgive us for those times. But we thank you, Lord, because of your providence, you will always win. In the end, Lord, you will have your way with us. So please help us, Lord, not to be like the stubborn Israelites, the stubborn Jews who remained in compromise, who remained on in the land of exile when you were telling them, return, return. They stayed on, oh God. May we not be like that. Because we know there will always be consequences for our unfaithfulness. Lord, help us not to go through tough lessons because of our stubbornness. Help us to learn what we need to learn at the soonest possible time, even today, right now. May we learn our lessons well. And so, Father, as we proceed on with our series in the book of Esther, may this truly inspire us. May this truly make us read into situations that you are bringing in our lives. And may we never just say that we just had good luck or bad luck, which is not true. May we be able to say, Lord, you are at work in my life. Thank you. Thank you that you are at work in my life. And Lord, for the people who are now present here, Lord, I know that you have brought them here for a purpose and for a reason. And I pray they don't miss it. I pray, Father God, that you will accomplish all of your good purposes for the people who have come here and for the people who are listening over live stream. Lord, we know you have a purpose. 
And so we thank you that that was accomplished even today. And Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to give our tithes, our grace gifts, and our offerings as well. Lord, use them for the glory of your holy name. And would you be so kind to bless us, Lord, so that we might continue to bless your work as well. We give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's give the Lord a big hand, please.